If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 53. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 53. And I want to pick up with verse number 9 and read down through verse number 12. The Word of God is so clear at this point in Scripture in giving us hope in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Verse number 9 and following. This is a chapter that is often referred to as the Gospel in the Old Testament because it is a portrayal and it is a looking forward to the coming Messiah some 700 years later. And it's talking about him. In verse number 9, he made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. And it's very important. I don't know whether your Bible has a center column in it or not. But in my center column, it takes that word death and makes it plural. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his deaths, plural. That's very important, and I hope we'll be able to bear that out in the message. Neither had he done any violence or any deceit was in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I want to use for a text a passage in the first Verse number 12, where the scripture says, He, referring to Christ, hath poured out his soul unto death. We are introduced to two kinds of death in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. Number one, there is physical death. Some of this is a little repetition We've been speaking on this subject now for the last three weeks. But in the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse number 19, there is what is called physical death. God is speaking to Adam and he says to him in verse 19, Genesis 3, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. That's physical death. Physical death. 
Because of Adam's sin, the curse of physical death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Physical death and death itself means separation. Separation. You cannot have death without separation. A man who dies has to leave his family. A man who dies has to leave his financial statement. A man who dies has to leave all the many things he's known in life for a number of years. Death, physical death, is the separation of the soul from the body. Now, when the Lord made Adam, he did not live until God breathed into him the breath or the spirit of life. And he joined Adam's body with this soul, soul and body. And physical death is the separation of the soul from God. In the nearby cemetery from our church, there are a lot of people out there, but they are dead. They are not souls. Their souls vacated the body at the point of death, and it resulted in their death and in their burial. James 2.26 says the body without the spirit is dead. Now listen to that. The body without the spirit, when the soul or the spirit vacates the body, the body dies. Physical death. All of us have been touched at one time or another with physical death. We've had loved ones to die. We've had friends to die. We've had relatives to die. And you know the terrible separation, but it has to do with the soul vacating the body in which it was in for a number of years called life. Adam's sin brought that about. The Lord Jesus, before he died, you will remember he said about five, six, seven things on the cross. One of the last things he said was, Father... He yielded up the ghost. Before he died, he yielded. And the point at time when he yielded up the ghost, that's when he died. The soul left. You've heard me refer to Genesis chapter 5 as the obituary column in the Bible. Talks about Adam. Talks about God creating him. And Adam living. And then it In verse 5, it says, All the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Adam lived to be 930 years old, but he died. In verse number 8, All the days of Seth were 912 years. He lived 912 years, but he died. Verse 11, All the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Enos lived 905 years. In verse number 14, it talks about Canaan. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. It goes on to Mahalalel in verse number 17. He died. And verse number 20, Jared lived 962 years. It's a long time, but he died. Enoch didn't die. He walked with God and was not, for God took him. But that brings you to Methuselah down in verse 27. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died, 
lived longer than any other human being had lived. 969 years. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Point being this physical death. People are born and they're going to die. All of the lives that are represented in our churches and in our world and in our economy today, everybody is going to face death. Should our Lord not come soon, all of us who are here today are going to taste of death. That is physical death. And it comes as a result of Adam's sin in the garden. Then second of all, there is a spiritual death. In the second chapter of Genesis, verse number 17. Second chapter of Genesis, verse number 17. The Lord is speaking to Adam, and he said, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, we're talking about a spiritual death, not a physical death, because Adam did not die the day he ate the fruit. But he did die. A spiritual death. Whereas physical death is the separation of the soul from the body, spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. The God of life who gave it. And the Bible talks about driving out Adam, and not only Adam, but Cain as well. In Genesis 3 and in Genesis 4, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, separated from God. Visitation rights by God were canceled at that point. Prior to that, God fellowshiped with Adam, and God fellowshiped with Eve, but could no longer and would no longer do that because they had experienced a spiritual death. A spiritual death. There's, the scripture says in Ezekiel 18 verse 4, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In 18.20 in Ezekiel, The soul that sinneth, it repeats it, it shall die. In Matthew 10.28, Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Making a distinction there. Two deaths now. And then in Ezekiel 18, verse 27, again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness, which he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. You see, we're not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. You are a living soul. And because of sin, we have not only been predicted to have this physical death out there somewhere in time at a certain place. But it is spiritual death because when we die, we're separated from God. Separated from God. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ was made a curse for us. He was made a curse for us. Therefore, he faced a physical death penalty... And he also faced a spiritual death penalty. Quite frankly, I think that's the reason why I mentioned in the earlier reading of Isaiah chapter 53, it takes the word death and the translators made it plural, deaths. 
because not only did Jesus Christ die physically, Jesus Christ died spiritually. You need to understand that. No one ever suffered like the Lord. In this message today, I've been speaking to you for about three weeks on the sufferings of Christ. The early sufferings that Christ endured before he ever got to the cross. And then I brought a message on the the physical sufferings of Christ. And what he had to endure physically because he, had a, he was a man. He was the man, the God-man. And as a complete perfect man, he, he endured the physical agonies of the cross. But today I want us to look at this spiritual aspect of Christ's final sufferings. I said this to you, I think, the first time when we introduced the subject three or four weeks ago. That it is not the virgin birth that we find salvation it lays in the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wish that at this particular time of the year, especially at this particular time of the year, that people would give as much attention to the sufferings of Christ as they do to the virgin birth of Christ. No one ever suffered like the Lord. We study this subject and we have to be careful to observe three things. As I said, the earlier sufferings of Christ, the physical sufferings of Christ, and the spiritual sufferings of Christ. Let's get into it. His sufferings did not begin at the cross. They did not begin at the cross. It began before he went to the cross. Christ lived a life of suffering due to poverty, due to verbal abuse, due to vicious threatenings, due to being forsaken by his disciples and illegally tried and condemned to die on a cross before he ever was put on that cross. And his sufferings also involved physical shame. I know sometimes it's difficult to forget the idea and the truth and the fact and the, and the dogma that Christ Jesus, as a man, suffered what you read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke. He suffered on the cross of Calvary. He was mocked as king. He was mocked as a prophet. He was mocked as a man. He was mocked as the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. He was mocked as a priest. He was beaten, physically abused. And crucified. Now his sufferings involve spiritual separation from the Father. Spiritual separation from the Father. Out of those many things that Christ said on the cross, he said, Father, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to be translated, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? And he's not God talking to God. He's the Son talking to his Father. That's so important. Why have you, my heavenly Father, forsaken me? This is called the second death. Incidentally, in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 6. Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection 
over whom the second death hath no power. Our scripture text verifies this. The Lord bruised him. Look at verse number 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruised is a Hebrew word, dokal, meaning to crush. It means to beat to pieces. It means to oppress. It means wicked men bruised him physically, but it was God the Father who bruised him spiritually. Please keep that in mind. Then God the Father put his son to grief, also in verse number 10. He hath put him to grief. Grief is the Hebrew word kala, meaning to be rubbed or worn. Now get the meaning. To be rubbed and worn. If you rub a part of your body long enough, if it's a hand you're rubbing, and you rub it and put the pressure on it, just keep rubbing and rubbing, and after a while it doesn't feel good anymore, it begins to hurt because the rubbing is turned into that which doesn't look like it'll ever stop. He was worn from the rubbing. God the Father put his son to the The God of heaven did that, put his son to grief. His soul was made an offering for sin. Also found in verse number 10. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. It was the body of the Old Testament lamb. But it was the soul of the New Testament lamb. In his death. It has to go beyond the physical Because he died not only physically, but he died spiritually on the cross. And look at verse number 11. His soul shall have travail. Travail. Verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Painful sorrow. The Lord would experience great soul pain. And in verse number 12, he would pour out his soul unto death. Again, verse 12, the latter part of it, he hath poured out his soul unto death. Taking those things by way of introduction, let's look at two or three things. First of all, the substance of soul death. The substance of soul death. There are two things which made our Lord grieve and be sorrowful. And it also brought about his soul death. Number one, the sins of his people were placed upon him and charged to his account. Verse number three, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, that is the Messiah, 
the iniquities of us all. God took the sins of his elect, all of the sins that they would ever commit, and he placed them accountable to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That had never happened before. That had never taken place before. Christ had never known this. He was the impeccable and holy Son of God, and now he was being made sin. He did it willingly to be sure. Not forcibly, but he did it willingly. But think about the substance of soul death. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. You say, well, is that too bad? Well, it depends on how bad you are. You see, a lot of folk in the human race are not too bad. I talked to one fellow not too long ago. He said, listen, I mean, uh, you know, I may do things, a few things wrong once in a while. I said, well, you mean a few things once in a while. And he kept saying, well, I don't do this, I don't do that. I said, oh, if you could ever understand, you're a rotten, stinking, no good sinner, and you ought to go to hell. People get offended at that. But that's the truth. And God took our filthiness and imputed it to the account of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on that cross. The nature and the substance of soul death. Not only the sins of his people were placed upon him and charged to his account, but the curse and wrath of God the Father came upon him. There is a verse over in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 that predicts this. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. God is speaking about the sword of divine justice to be executed against his shepherd, and the shepherd is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. You remember at the beginning of Christ's ministry, it was initiated when the Father spoke from heaven and said this, is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But when Christ became sin for us, God's approval turned into disapproval or wrath leveled at the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon talked about it. Simeon visited the temple continually because he was looking forward to the day that maybe he could get some sight of this predicted Messiah that was coming into the world. And Simeon blessed them. He blessed Mary, the mother of Christ, and said, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again for many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and as he was speaking, he directs something to Mary, the mother of Christ. He says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. 
He was saying, Mary, your son is going to receive a sword through his body and his soul hanging on that cross. But there will also be a sword you're going to receive. You shall receive this sword also that the thoughts of many hearts may be known. Well, all of the wrath and anger of God fell on Christ. For Mary, it was the sword of sorrow. As she looked at her son hanging on that cross, it broke her heart. Mary faced the sword of sorrow, but for Christ, it was a sword of divine justice because sin must be punished. And he became sin for us, therefore he must be punished. A little bit more there than the virgin birth of Christ. Just a little bit more. The signs of soul death. The soul death of our Lord did not take him by surprise. He could see it coming in the angry clouds before the storm. He saw the signs of a fast approaching storm. He saw it four days before he died. In the book of John, chapter number 12, verses 23 and following. John, chapter number 12, verses 23 through 27. The Lord Jesus answered and said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life and shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And in verse 27, the Lord said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Notice it was not his body that was troubling him, it was his soul that was troubling him. He said, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Many times the enemies of Christ endeavored to take his life, but they could not because his hour had not yet come. And now four days before he goes to Calvary, he sees this thing beginning to start. And it's going to develop four days before he died. He experienced it as he entered into Gethsemane. We'll not take the time, but I'll give you the reference in Mark 14, 32 through 34. Christ is described as being sore amazed. Not so amazed, but sore amazed. And said, my soul, my soul is sorrowful. You know, we put so much attention on the body, don't we? If we're not seeing the doctor one moment, we're going to the drugstore the next moment. Because we want to take care of our bodies. We get hungry, we go and eat. We don't want to starve to death. We do all of these things. But you are a living soul. And that soul will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that soul will die and go to hell and be separated from God. Christ came to be the sin offering for our sins. For the sins of his people. 
and he entered into Gethsemane. He began to bleed in Gethsemane. Let me read you just a caption of that. Christ had before wrestled with the principalities and powers in the wilderness. You remember the devil came in for 40 days and 40 nights. Tried to tempt him time after time. But those encounters never drew blood. Here we see the sorrows of Christ not only bring tears to his eyes, but he weeps blood. I said he weeps blood all over. Not by drops only, but in blood clots as well on that cold night. Yea, it came through his garments that in such abundance as it fell to the ground and he left the marks of it behind. There were some things the disciples could not see but they could see the blood stains and the blood clots on his garments even as he prayed before he ever went to Calvary. And then came the storm of soul death. This... I do not have the capacity. I do not think I've ever met any preacher who has the capacity of fully understanding and trying to to visualize and comprehend what happened when the father disowned the son. And he disowned him. He abandoned him. The father forsook the son at Calvary. The Lord Jesus said, my God, my God. Please notice, not my father. He would not call him my father. At that point in time, he called out to God. He had always talked about his father. Remember when Mary and Joseph came looking for him? He was about 12 years of age, and when they finally found him, he said, No, you're not that I must be about my father's business. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he refers to God being my heavenly father, cares for his own. But when he became sin for us, he didn't talk to the father. He talked to an avenging God against sin. Against sin. The father gave him no water for his thirst. Remember he said, I thirst. The father gave him no water for his thirst. His father took away the sunshine and plunged him into devil darkness. The father refused to let the angels come and comfort him. They comforted him in Gethsemane, but not on the cross. And then he turned his back on him that the son might die alone. In the three hours on the cross, he paid the sin debt for the elect of God, which they would have been paying throughout eternity in hell. May I repeat that? In three hours on the cross, Christ paid the sin debt not for everybody. He paid the sin debt for the elect of God, 
which they would have been paying for throughout eternity in hell. One of the six or seven things that Christ said on the cross was this in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now, I have tossed this out to you before. And it has brought forth some study on your part. And it should. Who was he praying for? You say, well, Brother Cozart, I believe he prayed for everybody on the cross. If he did, they're all going to heaven. Come on. He was praying for somebody on that cross. And he said, Father, you forgive them, for they know not what they do. I know one somebody that he's praying for. There's a thief on one side of him. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yes, sir. Forgave him. I believe maybe that centurion that stood at the front of the cross or the bottom of the cross and looked up and said, surely this was the Son of God. He believed and trusted. This idea that Christ Jesus died to save everybody, but man's got to do something about that. There's nothing in the world man can do about it because we're dead in trespasses and sins And we're not saved by anything we do. We're saved by what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. His sacrificial death for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have a message. It's an unclear message today. It's kind of like it's a provisional atonement. That uh, Christ died for everybody, but you've got to, I, I was taught this early on, early on in my ministry, and I tried to forget, have tried to forget it ever since. <laughs> that salvation is kind of like the Lord making out a check to you. Whosoever will can be saved, and all you've got to do is endorse it. But how do dead men endorse something? Come on. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. I'm I'm here to tell you, I don't know the complete answer to this, but he was praying for somebody on that cross. And before he went to that cross, he told his disciples in John 17, I pray not for the unsaved, the unconverted, or the goats. I pray for my own. So, well, I just don't know whether that's fair. I hope you don't think you're going to go to heaven because it's fair. It was at Calvary that the serpent bit the heel of the Son of God. Again, there's some controversy over that. I can't help it. Forrest Keener would make a statement, then he'd say, I'm sorry everybody else is wrong and I'm right. But I do believe that in Genesis chapter 3.15 we have a messianic promise that one day the serpent would crush the heel of the serpent, of the Savior, but the, the Savior would crush the head of the serpent. He would bite the heel of the son and, and he'd have his head crushed instead. 
Because I believe the devil is still operating today. And when Christ gets through crushing his head, he won't be operating anymore. Revelation 19. In those three hours of darkness, the sulfuric smoke of hell enveloped the Son of God on the cross, and the justice of God against wicked sinners was exacted. This final thought before we close. The satisfaction of the soul death. Look at verse number 3. He, God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, that is the soul of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall be satisfied. And shall be satisfied. In what way was the Father satisfied with what Christ did? Because he paid the debt for their salvation and taking care of their sin debt throughout eternity. He paid for it. And the Father was satisfied with that. Why? Preacher, why is there so much argument today? Old people say, well, I don't think God is satisfied with him saving some folk. I think God to save everybody. He doesn't have to got to nothing. He's a sovereign God. He could just as well as left us in our own sin and we'd all spend eternity in hell. He'd still be God when the smoke clears. Because he's God, not me, not you. Maybe your mother-in-law a little bit once in a while. But God is God. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify M-A-N-Y. Now there's a difference in many and everybody. Okay? Difference in that. For he shall bear their iniquities. Not everybody's iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. When the father saw the travail of his son for sinners, he was satisfied and their sin debt was paid in full. His atonement was not provisional, did not depend on them doing their part, but it was fully effectual. Every soul for whom Christ died will be saved. He'll not lose a one. Verse 8, For the transgression of my people was he slain. So, I chose that subject at a time when so much emphasis is only on one aspect of Christ. And that's how he was born as a baby. And all of the many heresies that have come from that to his purpose was to be the sacrificial lamb to die for our sins. Suffering. Suffering. I ask you a question. I ask myself a question. Are you a transgressor? You say, well, no, I'm not that bad. Well, he didn't die for you. He died for transgressors. He died for sinners. He died for his saints. He died for his own. Let's stand, please, for prayer.
Dear Father in heaven,